So we are continuing um, our series on John. So um, Mike, the Bolly last week was talking about my sheep here and my voice. He's nodding, that's good. That means I was paying attention. Oh, yes, I was. Um, and we're continuing on John 10 today, 22 to 42, around about that. So um, I'm going to read it. So I'm reading it from my Bible on my phone. I'm not on social media, just to be clear. Um, so open your Bibles or your phones or, or your memories because you've um, captured this scripture in your memory. So you do it. Let's read together. So um, this is the bit where Jesus talks about I and the Father are one. So at the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade um, of Solomon. So the Jews gathered round him and said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Um, they didn't like that. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him and Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of those are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, oh, no, it's not for the good works that we are going to stone you, but for the blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered, hang on, is it not written in your law? And then he quotes, I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I say I'm the son of God? If I'm not doing the works of the Father, well, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Mm, didn't like that either. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything John said about this man, Jesus, was true. And many believed in him there. Lord Jesus, I, I, um, I pray that you would use my words um, and actually turn them into your words. You would um, inflame our hearts um, with joy and love for you, enlighten our minds encourage us strengthen us um be with us lord uh, lord we've just been praying i feel no evil because my god is with me i pray we'd know that this morning amen so bit of context it's the feast of dedication not this morning it's not but in the bible bit we're reading it was the feast of dedication it was hanukkah so the festival of lights quick bit of history about that it recalled the victory over foreign invaders. So um, a foreign army had come in, taken over the country, invaded the temple and desecrated the temple, um, which is about the worst thing that could possibly happen. 
I can't connect that very well because we, our society is different. But there was no, there was no social services. There was no police. There was no government. There was no local authority. Um, there was a king. Um, the temple was where it's at. That's not just where it is at. It's not just where they went to worship. That's the whole focus of their lives. It is the actual place where God dwelt. Right, this is about as big as it got. The temple was, was incredibly important. And this, this army had come in and desecrated it and set up all sorts of bad things in the temple. And the festival at Hanukkah celebrates the fact that the Jews got together a rebel army and they took back the temple and they cleansed the temple and they rededicated it. So it was a big deal, actually. We have got the temple back. Our life is back. God is back on the throne. He's always on the throne, but God is back on the throne. It really was really important. There was something about remembering God's victory, his faithfulness, his presence. So this is the time um, they're remembering this as Jesus walks through the temple. And here's Jesus. And it is interesting, isn't it, that Jesus actually describes himself as a new temple. He says at some point in the scripture, actually at some point this building is going to be done away with. I'm the new temple. I mean, it completely blew their minds I don't know what you're talking about. Actually, this building's going to go away because I am the new temple in which God dwells, and you are going to be the new temples of you know, living stones. Anyway, it's interesting that Jesus is wandering through um, the temple in the, the portico or the, the sheltered porch, um, being harassed by local religious leaders. They didn't really like what he was saying. And it was winter time. It is wintertime here as well. And, and maybe that's a nice picture of their spiritual state. I don't know if we can draw that out of the scripture. Um, but it is interesting. It's wintertime. It's the winter of their discontent, as Shakespeare might have said. Um, uh, 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 they're not in a good spiritual state. And Jesus is walking through the portico, talking to them. Um, and they gather round and they start asking him all sorts of awkward questions. And it's kind of... Um, uh, when you read it, you just think, oh, yeah, and the Jews, they, they, they ask him questions, and you, know, you just read it as a very matter of fact. This is like a, a, a mob of people that were really angry. Right? They thought Jesus was speaking blasphemously. They thought, I mean, this is the worst thing that he could have ever said and done, and they basically wanted to kill him. So you imagine being, I, imagine, I remember many, many decades ago being in the poll tax riots, if you're old like me, um, I wasn't rioting, but there were, I mean, seriously, there were tens of thousands of people and it was a really, really scary situation. There were people, you know, that mob kind of mentality, it was kind of, people were really, really angry, anything could happen. I mean, that's more akin to what was going on here. People were really angry, Jesus asked him really awkward questions. They're trying to trick him because the reality is, or reality was that they didn't really want an answer. They asked him all these questions, they appeared to be reasonable. Isn't it right that you just tell us? We just want to know if you're the Christ. They didn't really want an answer, did they? No. And no is the answer to that. And they gather around asking these awkward questions, trying to trick him, not wanting an answer. And maybe you've been in that situation. Um, people know you're a Christian, and then they start asking you questions, and you kind of think, well, you don't really want an answer. You don't want to engage in rational debate. You want to hear my testimony. You just want to be awkward. Um, maybe there's some lessons to learn uh, for us here as an aside about how Jesus kind of dealt with them. Um, and Jesus does three things. He kind of bats off their disingenuous questions. He kind of kicks them into long grass in many ways. And he talks about his relationship with God the Father. Um, and he explains what it means to be known by the Father, which I think is where really I want to um, land this morning. 
So that's where we're going. And my big question um, this morning is this. What does it mean for you to be known by the Father? You don't have to answer. I'm just saying, this is just for you to think about. What does it mean for you to be known by God the Father? Hold that in mind, because that's really um, what I want us to meditate on. So back to the story. The religious, religious leaders keep asking Jesus who he is. And it sounds a bit weird to us, doesn't it? We think, well, we know who Jesus is. He's Jesus, the son of God. Um, and what they're asking is, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? So are you the person that God has promised to send to save Israel? So they're, 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 in, they're um, celebrating Hanukkah, remembering how God, um, uh, apparently God sent an army and restored the temple. And now they're saying, are you the Christ, the person that's going to completely restore us, um, get rid of the Roman Empire maybe, restore the sweet relationship between God and his people. Are you the person who's going to make it all better? But the snag was they didn't actually want to know and they weren't really interested. So what they've done, they've already rejected Jesus in their minds. Maybe out of their pride. Who do you think you are? You're a carpenter. We know where you come from. Maybe out of fear of change. Some of us worry when things are different. Makes us feel anxious. Maybe it's to protect their own power and influence, these religious leaders. The thing is, when we're exposed to the truth... Sometimes it's not what we're expecting, is it? I want the truth. And then it comes, you go, well, I didn't want that one. Well, I didn't think it was going to come like that. I didn't want you to say that to me. I didn't want that to happen. And then sometimes when the truth comes, it's not what we're expecting. It arrests us. It shakes us up. It reveals our limitations and fallibility, or it does to me, as well as offering hope. The truth can sometimes, oh, God, hang on a minute. I want to say to you, please don't let that be a stumbling block for you. They didn't want to know the truth. They heard it. They rejected it out of hand. It wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they expected. Don't reject Jesus out of hand. If you know Jesus, don't know Jesus this morning, don't say, well, he hasn't come in the way I wanted. He hasn't done what I wanted for me. He's not saying what I thought. Who's this guy? Don't let that be a stumbling block. And if you do know Jesus... Actually, he still carries on speaking to us all our lives. Don't suddenly go, well, hang on a minute, Lord, that was great back then, but you're doing something different now, or I don't like what you're saying to me, or this feels uncomfortable, or whatever it is. Don't reject him out of hand. Don't make that a stumbling block. I'll say that to myself first and to you guys second, but don't do that. Um, Jesus starts to reveal the truth, doesn't he? And it's all a bit cryptic, but essentially what he's saying is he's come from God. He does God's work and he is God. That's verse 30. So I and the Father are one. And this is just so far from what they expected and from what they wanted to hear, um, from how they expected hope to come. How do you expect hope to come? This wasn't what they expected it to look like. This was so far from how they expected hope to come, what they thought they needed, out of their comfort zones, they rejected it out of hand. Just again, imagine the scene, there's an angry mob, people worked up, geeing each other up, a bit like the poll tax riots, um, but they're wearing different clothes. But the same thing, they're really angry, um, it was quite a heated situation, quite dangerous. There's massive beef, they accuse him of blasphemy and, 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 and they try and kill him. 
It's interesting, isn't it? It's ironic that um, Hanukkah in some ways celebrates the overcoming of blasphemy, the, the desecration of the temple, the blaspheming of God. And then yeah, we've overcome it. And here is Jesus, um, who actually is God. And they say, oh, you're being blasphemous. Um, that's just an ironic aside, but don't let that get lost on you. And Jesus, um, Jesus's responses in this melee isn't to engage in a rational conversation. Well, let's just sit down and, and talk about this rationally. Um, there's not time for that. He just plays for time. And he says, look, I've done a load of godly works. What's wrong with that? And they, of course, respond by saying, well, those are fine, which is a bit of a lie, really, because they hadn't liked the work they'd done. Oh, no, 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 We've, we're fine with your works, but you have called yourself the son of God. How dare you say that? And so they want to kill him, which is ironic because he is the son of God. And, and he makes what to us seems like a bit of an odd response, but he, by quoting Psalm 82, um, verse 6. And um, I'll read it to you um, in, in John. It's a bit when he says... Let me scroll down. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Um, if he called them gods to whom and scripture cannot be broken, um, why, why are you having a go at me, basically? And you think, well, that's a bit of a funny passage to quote. Um, essentially, he's playing for time. Um, and he says, actually, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Psalms, um, sort of the, the judges are appointed to rule over Israel, and they were called gods with a small g. Um, because they had delegated authority. Um, and so the psalmist kind of captures this. And then Jesus says, well, if scripture is, if your scripture is true and you believe it, which you kind of do, and they were kind of called gods with a small g, um, then what's the problem? What's the beef with me calling myself a god? I call myself the son of God. Um, you're being inconsistent. So essentially he doesn't answer their question. He just plays for time and says, actually, your own scripture kind of fights against you. So just just settle down there. Um, Essentially, he plays for time. Um, if it was okay, then what's the problem with it now? And maybe, again, there's a lesson for us in how we respond to tricky questions from people who don't actually want an answer. Um, don't engage in it. But Jesus essentially says, let's not get caught up in that. Let my actions speak louder than my words. So that's a bit of a context, really. Um, but really, where I wanted to land was the middle bit of it all, 27 to 30, when Jesus talks a bit about... Um, his relationship and our relationship with the Father. So I, I wanted to give you that context because one, it's there in the passage, but two, there's all this going on. There's this melee going on, there's disingenuous questions, there's anger, there's um, trickery. Uh, and in the middle of all that, Jesus talks about the security of our relationship with the Father. I think that's interesting, isn't it? Just popped into my head. But it's, 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 it's so interesting that in the middle of the storm, Jesus speaks peace. So Jesus continues about his relationship with God and our relationship with God. And, and we, there's loads of stuff we could say here um, that's probably outside of my um, ability, uh, the mystery of the Trinity and all sorts of stuff. But we're not going to talk about that. I want us to focus on the security of being known by God. And it strikes me that we all need to feel secure and loved um, and protected. That was great. At that point, I saw Josh just nuzzling and talking with his with the little one we all need that don't we we all need that kind of embrace of the father where yeah, it's okay it's going to be okay and then the child looks at you and they go yep i don't even have to think about this because you're my dad we need that security that being being loved and protected do you know we need to feel thought about as human beings someone is holding me in mind the worst thing loneliness 
whether you're single or whether you're not single, you're not, someone not holding you in mind, feeling insecure. No one cares about me. Well, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. That's amazing. And they follow me. And Jesus' voice here is his claim to be God. Well, I am God. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and his promise of eternal life, John 3.16. Um, and his call to find rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest um, and security in him alone. So if you hear his claim here, if you trust in his promise, if you accept his call, you are his. He holds you in mind. That's what Psalm 139 says, doesn't it? Actually, it talks about the thoughts of God. Actually, God thought about us before we were born. And even now, your thoughts about me are just too many for me to comprehend. But it's not just about being held in mind. Jesus here is also clear that no one can snatch you away um, if you're his. Romans 8 says that, doesn't it? It says, no circumstances, not life, not death, nor angels, nor demons, nor height, nor breadth, nor anything else in the whole of creation can snatch those away from God who belong to him. Not circumstances of life, not COVID, not loneliness, not death, not illness, not the devil. And sometimes we get into these silly philosophical debates. Well, I do. Like, wow, well, okay, I hear you, Lord, but can I snatch myself away from you? <laughs> you can't snatch me, and, 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 and illness can't snatch me, but maybe I could snatch myself away. Do you know, the Bible says nothing. Right? And when I last looked, nothing included silly debates, can I snatch myself away? No, actually you can't, because the Bible says if you are his, nothing can snatch you away from him. I want you to remind yourself of that when things are good and you think um, you don't need him. Let me just read from Acts. Acts says he's that um, God gives life and breath and everything to everyone. Um, and him, in him we, have, we live and move and have our being. So when things are going well, um, I want you to remind yourself that actually you live and breathe because of him. I don't feel I need you to say, Lord. Yeah, you do. The fact you're having a good day, the fact you're breathing, actually is him. It's his gracious, it's his goodness towards you. You've got me, Lord. I want you to remind yourself of that when you um, don't think he can help you, when you feel far away. The Bible here says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Jesus says this, let me say it again, in the middle of an absolute riot, a melee. No one will snatch you from my hand. I've got this. So when things are good, remind yourself he's got you. No one will snatch you from his hand. When things are bad, remind yourself that no one will get you. No one will snatch you out of his hand, his hand because he's got you. The security of the sheep rests with the good shepherd, not with the sheep. It's a relief, isn't it? It is for me. The security of the sheep rests with the good shepherd, Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rests with him not with the sheep. We just have to listen to his voice and follow, and he does the rest. And Jesus here, just in case we're not sure, twice says, no one will snatch you from my hand, and then says, God is greater than all or more powerful than anyone. It's a bit like my dad is bigger than your dad, <laughs> but just much, 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 much more significant and better. 
And then, so, okay, so that's great. But there were two worries, I think, that people have um, when they read this. Or maybe it's just me. Things that go on in your head. For some people, the thought of being known is pretty scary. And maybe wouldn't be able to articulate it like that. Or wouldn't be able to say it openly like that. But I think for some people, the thought of being known. So this passage says, I know you. I know you. Every one of you, Father says, I know you. That's pretty scary. It makes them feel vulnerable. Um, Rachel, my wife, knows me better than anyone else. Um, and despite that, she's not privy to all of my thoughts, my feelings, my reactions, my worries, what goes on in my head, which is probably a good thing. Um, and I'm glad she doesn't. She's not privy to every single thought every single reaction. Do you know some of those conversations that you might have in the shower where you've had an argument with someone at work maybe, you're in the shower and then it pops into your head and then you're replaying the argument in your head but actually you win it and you just you beat them down verbally and you win the argument and all those things that go on in our heads, maybe just mine, um, when you're walking the dog or in the shower or whatever, all that, God says, I know you. That can, that can be pretty pretty scary if God knows everything about me and here's the train of thought um, will he really love me if he really knew me will he still love me and this passage does show that God knows us through and through so all those shower thoughts <laughs> if I can put it that way I do know you through and through I know about those Julian yep and all the ones you've forgotten about and all the ones that haven't happened yet but this passage also says, um, when he talks about knowing us, it's just much deeper and sweeter than, yeah, I know all your bad thoughts <laughs> and your good thoughts. <laughs> he knows this in the way he says to Moses, I know you by name. And Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you. I set you apart in a good way. So knowing involves God's personal affection. I chose you. His covenant faithfulness. I promise to keep you safe. I promise to buy you back. That's what knowing you is about. Um, uh, uh, I promise to be it's like covenant faithfulness. I will redeem you. Redeeming action. When Jesus dealt with all our sin on the cross and, and, and we were given his righteousness in exchange. And providential watch, watchfulness. I'll look after you. I'll look over you. So, so when it says, well, I know you, yeah, it means us knowing, knowing us through and through. But it also means choosing us by name, knowing everything about us, um, and choosing us, which is God did um, via his personal affection, and being faithful towards us, redeeming us back, and watching over us. That's what it means. There's a tenderness here. You're his sheep. You're not just any old sheep. You're not just any old sheep. He knows you specifically. You're not just a random load of old ragtag sheep. You're not just a random sheep in a flock that no one knows about. He knows you, and that is a good thing. It's a wide-eyed, deliberate choosing and looking after you. Let me just read um, Ephesians 1 to you. It captures some of this. So blessed be the Lord, be the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. I know you, I chose you in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he did that. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why did he do this? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished, and just sprinkly lavished upon us in all wisdom. He didn't make a mistake. It was all deliberate with wisdom and insight. He chose you willingly man that's outstanding he knows you he knows you he knows you and that's a good thing and secondly for some of you you approach the whole thing about being known by the father through the lens of your own father um all the fathers in the room now look around a bit anxiously at their children hang on you know God the Father, and you're thinking about it through the lens of me as a dad to you. Oh, my goodness. Um, but for some of you, understanding that the Father knows me and loves me actually is a big um, a problem. Your experiences have been less than optimal, neglectful, abusive, not even present. And you think, well, hang on, the Father loves me. That, that doesn't feel very good to me. May I just gently remind and encourage you that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. That's not just a great theological truth or theological mystery. It means that Jesus and the Father are one in heart and mind, one in substance, one in character, if I can put it like that. So the series Gentle and Lowly, I don't know how it's landed for you, it's given us some amazing truths about Jesus, which are things like he can sympathize with us. He can deal gently with us. He will never, ever cast you out. He loves you to the uttermost. Um, he is a friend to us. Turn the page. He is the father of mercies. <laughs> he is rich in mercy. He loved us then. He'll love us now. All those things that we learn about Jesus and more. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So when you think about being loved and known by the Father, all that stuff applies, applies to, is about the Father's heart towards you. So that loving tenderness, I chose you, I know you, and this is my heart towards you. It's amazing, isn't it? So let me finish, um, uh, bring this into land, as it were. In the midst of this melee, carnage the anger the uncertainty jesus reassures us that he knows his sheep he holds them in mind they are precious to him no one can snatch them away let me read that differently jesus reassures us that he knows you he holds you in mind you are precious to him no one can snatch you away we know um <laughs> we can know god but um galatians 9 let me just finish by reading this Galatians 4, 9, sorry. You realize that are not nine chapters in Galatians. Um, Galatians 9 says this, but now you have come to know the Father, or rather to be known by the Father. 
So we can know God, but actually the most important thing is God knows me. And I want to I want to finish by reading a passage from J.I. Packer. I've read it before. I make no apology for reading it again because he says it much better than me um, about what it means to be known by the Father. And he says this. Um, the language is a bit old, but hopefully you'll get the gist of it. What matters supremely, therefore, is not the fact that I know God. That's good. But the larger fact that underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I'm graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. Remind yourself of this. Whether your experience of fathering is good or bad, I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me. He chose to know me and he continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. There's no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. No moment, not one nanosecond. No moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. This is unspeakable comfort. It's the sort of comfort that energizes um, in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is a tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly, hear this, utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. He knows the worst and the best about me, so that no discovery about me can disillusion him. Oh, didn't know you like that. No discovery in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself. Nothing can quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about my fellow human beings that my head, sorry, my fellow human beings do not see. So he sees all the things that you don't see that are going on in my head, and I'm glad. And he sees more corruption in me than I see in myself. But there is equally great incentive to worship. And love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend. He desires to be my friend. He's given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. Jesus says, you are my sheep. My sheep know my voice. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand because the Father is greater. That's all I've got to say, really. If you don't know Jesus, <laughs> I mean, come and speak to one of us. We'd love to talk to you to some more. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk it through. If you do know Jesus, you might think, well, actually, I'm far, far from that. I just feel so far from God. Um, I'm really worried about those things. We would love to talk to you and pray for you. But let me just encourage you, as you go from here, nothing, 
nothing, no one, no thing, not even me, can snatch myself from his hand. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you that that is not just a great truth. It's not just a great theological truth, Lord. It is actually um, our lived experience, Lord. We're living and breathing, Lord, because you, uh, you give grace to the whole world, Lord. But then also you choose us as your sons and daughters, Lord. Wide-eyed, you know everything about us. And still you say, I love you, I love you, I love you, Lord. That no matter what our circumstances, Lord, um, not life, not death, um, not the devil, not angels can snatch us from your hand. Lord and you don't do that kind of gritted teeth unwillingly Lord um, Ephesians says it's your joy to, to it was your joy to choose us we're not an accident Lord and it's your joy to continue saving us um, in the good times and the bad times Lord um, and we love that song Lord um, you'll never let us go and God is with us Lord and that's why we sing Lord Jesus so I thank you for your gracious faithfulness um, um, to us, to me, in spite of me, Lord. Um, and it's your joy to do that. Lord, I pray you bless us with that truth um, this week that we would know you're the God who is with us and keeps us safe.